the Zelensky's blast back in time to see Wayne's favorite band. Wow, 1963. You're so cool, I love you! But when their secret is revealed... You're spies! How much do you really know? A musical menace is unleashed. Overthrow parents. Stop the music! It's evil! Now, Team Zelensky swings into action. Next week on Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show. And welcome to the final week of Honey, I Shrunk the Theme Month. I'm Tyler Green, and I give it a good 30 seconds before this podcast devolves entirely into bad Russian accents. <laughs> I'm Kit Quinn, and cue George Harrison and The Simpsons saying, it's been done. I'm Randy Martin, and I'm just letting you know right now, everyone who is on this podcast at this very moment is a communist. Yay! Yay. I mean, I already knew that, but... Are, are you going to tell me I'm wrong? I'm the kind of communist who hates tankies, but I still want socialism, basically. You're going to look at me and you're going to tell me I'm wrong? <laughs> are you now or have you ever been the owner of a shrink machine? Tony Goldmark, what are you doing here? In Soviet Russia, honey shrinks you. Woo! <laughs> All right, welcome back to the show, Tony Goldmark. How are you doing today? I am full of 60s nostalgia today. Yay! Yay. That episode was a hell of a time capsule of two different eras at the same time. So this episode is directed by John Landis. Uh, We can end the episode there. (laughs) Well, at least there weren't any helicopters. Well, listen, listen. How do you think Peter Scolari died? You work with John Landis, you die eventually. This one just took longer. I'm sorry. Connect the dots, folks. Wait a minute. Protect Eddie Murphy at all costs. It's basically Landis following up on a nostalgic music movie in a way that isn't Blues Brothers 2000. Yeah, this reminded me. Tom Hanks did that thing you do. Peter Scolari did this episode. And Peter Scolari had a cameo in that thing you do. He did. Yeah, he was. Wasn't he the guy who introduced the Wonders when they were on that TV show? He was. Yeah, that was him. And now... For you kids, the latest rock and roll group to challenge the Beatles to a hair combing contest. It's just what we all need. The new teen sensations, the wonder. Another thing I noticed is that this is um, the second thing John Landis has directed that involves the Cold War and the Vietnam War era. Guess what the first one was? Uh, (laughs) So before we dive into the craziness of this episode, uh, Tony, if you'd like to talk a little bit about your own history with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the movie, the series, and... Well, I uh, definitely saw the first two Honey movies in theaters, and I also remember I owned the novelization of Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, which I read voraciously for some reason when I was a stupid kid who didn't know any better. And I definitely owned the third movie, Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. By the time the series aired, I was kind of outgrowing Disney a little, but I did catch a couple episodes here and there. And then when I went to college, I have kind of a very special connection to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show, because when I went to college at Columbia College Chicago, I took a bunch of TV classes, because that was my major, TV writing and producing, and one of my teachers was none other than Ed Ferrara, one of the two writers who developed Honey, I Shrunk the Kids for TV. Holy shit! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can see him listed in the credits of every episode when it says, developed for TV by 
Ed Ferrara and his writing partner at the time, Kevin Murphy. Not the same Kevin Murphy from MST3K, unfortunately. Although, ironically, Joel Hodgman actually was involved with the third one. Joel Hodgson, yeah, yeah. So they got that MST3K guy, but a different guy whose name just happened to be Kevin Murphy. And we should mention... Ed Ferrara does know about this podcast. He does. He does. Yeah, I told him about it, and I even offered him the chance to be a guest on this show. I, I thought for this month he might be interested, but he doesn't do podcasts or public appearances at all anymore. So it's nothing personal. It's just a personal rule of his. Absolutely. Hi, Ed. Hello, Ed. And still, Hi, thank Ed. you very much for this beautifully bizarre show. And thank you for voicing Fluffy, by the way. Yes, the voice of Fluffy as well. That's Ed Ferrara. Ed, are you aware that you have a case against the producers of H2O Just Add Water? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'd go for it. Well, I do know this. Ed Ferrara wasn't involved in the show anymore after season one. After season one, he left and the show was put in other people's hands. I do think he and Kevin Murphy were the showrunners in season one, but then they left. So so he would have been long gone by this season three episode. I don't know what season the mermaid episode was in. Season two. That was season two. Okay, so he was gone by then as well. Well, it was worth a shot. He gave us the McDonald's episode. Oh. That's more than enough. <laughs> The fucking episode that ends with a mom basically dying, so. Oh, yeah, so for context, Wayne and his brother confront this kid's mom after they get shrunk, and then the shrink ray malfunctions and shrinks her, and the way it's set up is that you kind of assume they just leave her to die? Oh, God. I mean, the kid was an asshole, but. What's up with all these things I've been watching on various podcasts that involve just leaving someone to die and not following up with them in a children's movie. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. Have you guys seen the final episode of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the series? Yes. Okay, because that ends with the shrink ray kind of turning itself on and shrinking absolutely everybody. And the only character left unshrunk is Quark. And so these tiny people have to basically talk to this giant dog to get them to help them get them unshrunk. The series ends with Wayne looking up and saying, hey, a quark. And then it just cuts to black. It cuts to credits. So it's like a Sopranos ending. We don't know what happened. My headcanon, quark just ate them all. (laughs) Mark just ate all these idiots and that was the end of everything. Also, Diane was pregnant with Adam, who was the kid, and honey, we blew up the kid. Well, yeah, but that was the universe where Wayne looked like Rick Moranis. This is the universe where he looks like Peter Scolari. Yeah, Tony, that's another thing, too. How do you feel about Peter Scolari as Wayne Zelensky? You know... I've never thought to really compare the two. I think they both do a good job for different reasons. Yeah. Rick Moranis is a little more showy as Wayne, I guess. Uh, You know, he comes from SCTV, so he's got a lot of sketch comedy background. So he played it, I feel, more like as an arch character. And Peter Scolari plays him more as a regular guy who just so happens to be able to invent all this shit. And Rick Moranis is great at it, but he often plays more towards the cheap seats with roles like Lewis Tully and Dark Helmet. So, yeah. And of course, Seymour. And he definitely was doing a little of that with Wayne Zielinski, but I like them both for different reasons. Let's say that. Yeah. Agreed, yeah. They both really give unique energies to their portrayals of Wayne, especially given just how fucking insane the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids TV show gets. Like, not that the movie wasn't insane, too, but, like, it was kind of your normal scientist accidentally shrinks people movie, while this show goes into all sorts of fucking shenanigans. You know, those average movies where scientists shrink people? Like, they come out every week? (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting kind of sick of that genre. It's basically cinematic junk food. (laughs) You know, Martin Scorsese says it's not cinema. Francis Ford Coppola is going to get all mad at Honey, I Shrunk the Kids because it replaced Captain EO. (laughs) I mean, actually, they tried to get a Rick Moranis cameo in the first Ant-Man movie. Yeah, I remember that. In the scene where Scott Lang first puts on the suit and he's like fallen through the various rooms in his apartment building 
At one point, the cameo they devised was he lands in Rick Moranis' cereal bowl. Yes, God, that would have been amazing. But because I know Rick Moranis is kind of picky with which roles he wants to do. Yeah, he's very picky. He refused to be in the Ghostbusters reboot either. I mean, we do know that if given the chance, he would come back as Wayne Zielinski for that Honey, I Shrunk the Kids reboot that I don't think is happening anymore. Shrunk? Yeah. What? Was that canceled altogether? It's all but canceled. They've announced it, but also there haven't really been any updates since like 2020, so. They're probably going to dump it on Disney Plus eventually. Well, I think it was being made for Disney Plus in the first place, so it's not really a dumping. But I will say this. I meant to say this earlier. Ed Ferrara, when he would talk about working on both this series and also the Weird Science series, which he wrote for, both of which were executive produced by John Landis. And both of them also had Bruce Jarchow in it. But Ed did not have very complimentary things to say about John Landis. Let's just Uh. put it that way. (laughs) You don't say. I mean, no shit. Does anybody? No, not really. I mean, he described John Landis as being very creatively stifling, which seems weird to me because the show they actually put out is so bizarre and has so much cool, weird shit in it. But apparently they wanted to go even further with it. And it was Landis who kept saying, no, just do this, this and this every episode. Just stick to formula. So it's like CBS with the Weird Al show. Kinda, yeah. Pretty hypocritical of Landis when he literally killed people for a cool helicopter shot he wanted so bad. (laughs) Well, maybe that scared him into following formula. I applaud this show for still sticking with the Honey, I Shrunk the Kid's name for a show that has very little to do with shrinking to begin with. Well, I can see that because Disney, they had a profitable brand on their hands with the Honey, I Shrunk the Kid's franchise and they wanted a TV show out of it, but you can't shrink the kids every episode. Exactly. It's just going to get stale. You got to find new shit to do if you're going to last 66 episodes so you can't make it like say the borrowers or that one show george shrinks i think it was called or or land of the giants or something you know i mean they still gotta stick the shrink right in the background of an episode just to justify the title so why not yeah and you can't just retitle it honey i'm doing a bunch of sci-fi shit you know (laughs) (laughs) it's like that one free willy cartoon isn't willy already free <laughs> yeah how, how many more times are we gonna free this dude if he keeps getting caught you're but, a but- truth talker <laughs> and speaking of war propaganda so this episode is a red scare episode yeah, it is there is a Red Scare episode a good couple years after the fall of the Soviet Union. <laughs> nope, 10 years. This episode aired in 99. The Berlin Wall fell in 89. This is a full decade. Absolutely. <laughs> Happy anniversary. Yep. <laughs> we're doing this just to rub it in you guys' faces. <laughs> okay, so today we're talking about season three, episode one, Honey Name That Tune in which Wayne goes back in time to prove to his family that the Bobkas and the song he loves really does exist. The only problem, however, is that the Bobkas are actually Russian spies with plans to take over the world by overthrowing parents. (laughs) God damn. Not sure how they expected that to work. I mean, I, I guess maybe because boomers were the largest generation of all time. This was a good 30 or so years after the whole Ed Sullivan British invasion. So yeah, you could still kind of justify that. I think they really wanted their own back to the future meets. I want to hold your hand meets that thing you do with this episode. Yeah. This is basically the two Zemeckis movies just colliding together with a dollop of that thing you do. At least it's not the mocap yellow submarine. Let's just be grateful for that. Oh God. Yeah. (laughs) You know, usually I'm sad when I hear about a film that could have been, no, I'm glad that got shelved. (laughs) I kind of would have loved to see that just because it would have been a train wreck. Yeah. It would not have been, good it would have absolutely been a fascinating train wreck i'm i'm almost sorry i missed it it's like doc brown says in back to the future 3 it'll be a spectacular wreck shame no one will be around to see it <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's get into the episode itself 
So it starts off with the family sitting around the table while Wayne is upstairs working on a new invention. And this is where we get introduced to the plot of the episode when Amy finds out in the newspaper, because she reads that for some reason, that the oldies channel is going to be doing a marathon of a show called Pop Time, which includes an episode starring a band Wayne used to love called the Bopkas. Right. Well, specifically, they're airing every episode of Pop Time. So correct me if I'm wrong, but... In 1999, did you still have to, like, look through the newspaper to find TV show times? Wasn't the TV Guide channel or just, like, surfing through the cable menu already, like, a thing at that point? Yeah, it was kind of starting to be a thing. The the internet was starting to happen, but they did definitely still have TV listings. You know, it always takes time to gradually segue from one way of doing things to the next. It's also one of those episodes that you just know could not, well, either could be made today, but it would be turned instantly into a, we gotta search up this lost media episode, i.e. blame it on George style or something. If they made this episode today... And they had it so Wayne was traveling back to the 1990s instead of the 60s. I can promise you the Bobcos would have been a fucking Nirvana parody. Sure, except you can't really do Red Scare stuff for 90s music. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. What if they're still trying? What if they're still fucking <laughs> away at it? With the lights out, it's less dangerous. Every all now entertain us. And then they're just going out of their way to make sure that Wayne can't get a hold of this song because they're so tired of him getting it wrong all the time. They mentioned that Wayne has gone to great lengths to find this song to the point where he almost got arrested in the offices of Rolling Stone magazine. <laughs> is if this were made today the Bobkas are very obviously a Beatles parody. Of course. Meaning there's a good chance they would have had one of the most biggest fan bases in music history. You can literally find pretty much all but one thing the Beatles did. All he would have to do is search through the anthology on Spotify or, right. you know, albums with bonus features and he'd find it if it's not already on an album. It is a little wonky sometimes what's available on Spotify and what isn't. There are some albums, even some entire bands or musicians' careers that no one cares enough to preserve through the decades. Like, Spotify barely has any Muppet songs, surprisingly. Yeah. You know where you would? find it guaranteed almost youtube yeah oh, that's true. but they had no youtube in 99 so what are you gonna do but also the more i think about it knowing wayne he probably busted into the rolling stone offices shrunk a fuck ton of people with the shrinking ray until he got his answers <laughs> about the bobkas that's our domestic terrorist Like I said in a previous episode, if Quentin Reviews was doing a retrospective on this series, much like his iCarly video, he'd probably do all the crimes the Zelenskys have committed. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay, so this song is so important to him. It's been stuck in his head for 35 years. This TV channel is finally going to air all 13 episodes so he can finally have it confirmed and he's staying up all night to watch all 13 episodes and he wants the family with him to do that as well. Why isn't he taping it? Yeah, that's a good point. Like, the guy invented a shrink ray and a time machine and all manner of impossible tech, but he's not familiar with the VCR? He could literally build an information machine that could just pull up the fucking song. Probably. Or he could buy a VCR. (laughs) (laughs) But also, I just really love that Peter Scolari is 100% committing to this lame-ass embarrassing dad bit. Yes. (laughs) I mean, I gotta be honest, though. I have been that guy, you know, feverishly searching for that one thing I I barely remember. Both nowadays on Google, I've remembered old songs I would hear. Because, you know, I used to listen to the Dr. Demento show every week where he played all kinds of obscure stuff. Some of which is still available, some of which just can't be found anywhere. So I've been that guy in the Google era, but also I don't know if the three of you are quite old enough to remember the pre-Google, pre-YouTube, pre-any of that shit era when you really did have to tape these shows like obsessively. And if something was going to air, you had to tape it or you'd never see it again. Everyone here, raise your hand if you've been personally victimized by the great online flash and shockwave purge of the beginning of 2020 
who now, no matter how obsessively they try to find on an archive, cannot play the weird little mini clip flash games they played in middle school. Oh, right here. Right here. So many Homestar Runner videos left. I'm so sad. Oh my god, all the mini clip games I used to play. (laughs) You know, for years, the Weird Al fandom was obsessively searching for a decent quality recording of Snack All Night, the long-lost third (laughs) Michael Jackson parody he did. He did a parody of Black or White called Snack All Night, only performed it as part of a food medley in one tour, the 92 tour, then never performed it again. And for years and years, there was just no decent video or audio of the 92 tour for whatever reason. There was like one really bad video clip with horrible, horrible audio. And that was people's only source of snack all night for the longest time. And then just in the past year, someone uploaded their own family video of the time they went to see Weird Al in concert. (laughs) And suddenly we had a decent quality copy of snack all night. It's crazy how these things slip through the cracks, but then get found sometimes. And I think about how they managed to get a televised interview with the guy who was the very last child that was in the room where Lincoln was shot. And for years, people thought that would be the only time they'd ever see it. And now it's on YouTube. Meanwhile, I cannot find the stupid pig game I played on Miniclip in middle school. (laughs) What a world. I gotta say, one of the original songs they wrote for the episode that's technically supposed to be the lesser song, Tight Pants, it slaps. Yeah, let's get into that. Yeah. Tight Pants is a great song. I was amazed Adam Schleisinger didn't write it. Yeah, no kidding. Isn't there already a song on YouTube called Tight Pants? (laughs) There must be. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the show brave enough to answer the question, what if Elvis Costello wrote a song about getting a boner? (laughs) (laughs) I'd sing for you, I'd be a clown, if I could feel anything from my waist down. Also, I do need to shout out the fact that that really is an actual band. Chicks Dig It from Calgary Mm. performing that song. I don't know if, well, the credits say that the lyrics were written by Ed Naha, but I think that might be the actual vocalist on the song. So this was like American Dreams before American Dreams, where they'd get like real bands to play the old bands that were on American Bandstand. And that had Fountains of Wayne. Goes full circle. Yeah, Fountains of Wayne uh, played the Hollies on, yeah. on, on American Dreams. And they have an Ed Sullivan parody, of course. Of course. Also, why the hell is Wayne making his family sit through this entire ass marathon. This is your problem, dude. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like I said, he could just tape the whole marathon. He doesn't even need to be there. He could just go up to sleep or something and then just watch them at his own pace. And then when he finds the song, just show them the song then. Like, you kind of just assume that the family's staying up all night to do this shit. Yeah. And they also make an excuse for Nick that he has a 60s school project, (laughs) which I guess he's supposed to be pretending to live in the 60s where there wasn't any cable. But then it fucking cuts to him just having the time of his life in his room. Hour three, still just a potato. (laughs) So was it actually never aired in canon, them performing that song? Or did they know it was mind control all along and cut it out? That opens up a whole bunch of questions that I had. Some of which... They ask at the end of the show, like, if it never fucking aired in the first place, how does Wayne remember it? Yeah. (laughs) And by the way, when they do bring up that question at the end of the show, when the mom asks, there's just one thing I still don't understand. And Amy says, one thing? (laughs) You think that was maybe a clue callback? Which Landis, of course, co-wrote. But So I'm sure this is going to shock nobody listening to this podcast, but Wayne literally says that pop time was canceled after this specific episode, mm-hmm. and the host 
later became an alcoholic and went to rehab. So did that happen regardless of whether or not Wayne interfered with the performance? Probably. I mean, so that's the first question. How does Wayne even remember this song? And they hand wave it as, I don't know, the song's like stuck between dimensions. So it's probably going out through the galaxy and infecting random people. And and maybe all of Wayne's other experiments in time travel put him in contact with, I don't fucking know. But the thing is, well, there's that, but then, well, I, yeah, I guess it is just that. But, <laughs> but then what did Wayne change exactly by going back to the past? Because there is that bit where he temporarily goes to the present and it's this alternate 1985 Back to the Future 2 present where it's just black and white and America has actually fallen to the Soviets. Yeah. There's a fucking picture of Stalin hanging above his work desk. Yep. That's just how my work desk looks, the fuck? (laughs) So my theory on what happened with the episode, (laughs) if there's one thing I know about how the CIA operated during the Cold War, especially the 60s, it's that they were willing to do the most heinous fucking shit to stop (laughs) communism, like to the point where they even suggested to Kennedy hey, what if we fake some terrorist attacks from Cuba? And that's probably what got him assassinated. But my theory is that the CIA, to cover up that episode, must have done some sort of MK Ultra shit. But why didn't they cover up that episode in the alternate timeline where Wayne fucks up only a little? Because Wayne's special! Also, the Bobkas are clearly shown to have fangirls, so... Yeah. Yeah! What the fuck happened to them after the Pop Time episode got wiped from existence? Maybe they went back to normal, though I can say that I can sum up this episode in four words. What Walt would have wanted. (laughs) Oh, all the Bobkas were killed and replaced with American Russian puppet dolls. Oh, that's who the Beatles were. Okay. Yeah, see, that's (laughs) who the Beatles were. They were initially the Bobkas, but then MKUltra, something, something, and then now this. Here's my question. When is Disney Plus going to release the Get Back documentary on the Bobkas? When are they going to (laughs) release the Peter Jackson nine-hour documentary of the Bobkas working out their songs in the rehearsal studio? Well, if they do that, Peter Jackson's just going to get a hit on them. Yeah. (laughs) They're even going to include a Bobkas version of Yoko. That's how far they're going to go. Yokoski. (laughs) Also, going back to the whole thing with the Bobkas fangirls, there are probably Bobkas truthers out there. Oh, definitely. Wayne is a lesser case of one of them. Yeah, good thing the internet didn't really exist yet. Otherwise, he would have fallen deep down that rabbit hole. Hey, hey, the guy introducing them was named Murray the Q. Hey! Played by discount Danny DeVito, by the way. Now, Murray the Q, of course, for those who don't know their Beatles history, is, of course, a reference to Murray the K. Murray the K is widely, some people, especially him, he's one of those guys who often gets called the fifth Beatle, especially him, because he was one of the first major DJs in New York to play the Beatles a lot in 1963. He very much fueled the fire that eventually led up to Beatlemania in, you know, America's biggest market. And he definitely rode that bit of notoriety to as much long-term fame as he could. Like, he's even in I Want to Hold Your Hand as himself. So yeah, that's Murray the K, and he was even parodied in The Ruddles as Bill Murray the K, for which <laughs> they, of course, got Bill Murray to just improvise a bunch of random shit. If you call me up at 555-2160 and say you won't hear anything but the Reddles, I'm gonna come looking for you. I mean it, because it's Reddles Day, they're gonna be here tomorrow talking about their trousers, it's a big, big day here in Flushing. And this episode does also have a very brief Pete Best joke, I guess, with how they make Wayne play the drums and be their they puppet. Pop- his hand like because yeah playing the drums is that easy yeah, they puppet his <laughs> hands while the drums are making a consistent beat so are they just playing to a fucking backing track or something sure why not they should have had a moment where like the lead guitarist turns to wayne and goes comrade how did we get here and wayne is forced to say i have led you here for i am spartacus <laughs> I, I mean if this is the play on words of the puppet leaders of the cold war That's pretty genius on their part. (laughs) 
I guess so, yeah. Also, they get their Beatles wrong because the drummer looks like Paul McCartney. Yeah. He's the only member of the group that slightly resembles a Beatle. As they say, Ringo isn't even the best drummer in the Beatles. I, I mean, back in the day before the Beatles fan base started to, you know, really take off and you had to actually look like them to impersonate them, all you really had to do was just put on a suit and a bowl cut and you were a Beatle. Yeah, Wayne just happens to have all these outfits lying around because he goes through a whole ass monologue doing all these different characters in different outfits. And then at one point he pulls out a dress and says, Oh, wrong series. I understood that reference. I gotta be honest. Um, Wayne as a beetle looks a lot more like Mo from the Three Stooges. He does. <laughs> Oh my god. Also, we forgot to mention the time hopper invention, by the way, which for some reason got used way more than the shrink ray did on the show. Well, they used the shrink ray in three movies, so. Yeah. To be fair, you have two inventions in front of you. One's a shrink ray, the other's a freaking time machine. Which one are you going to want to play with more? Well, it's not just a time machine because he also uses it to go to other dimensions in several episodes. But I do want to shout out the first episode the Time Hopper gets used in, which was the episode where Amy went back in time to hook up with her teacher Ah! when he was still a teenager in the 70s. Good God. Wow, that's a lot of layers of uh, you. And the teacher is played by the same actor the whole time. So Ah. we get like this creepy mustache teacher in his 30s and then we see him in the 70s and it's the same actor in his 30s that's clean shaven and it's just so much no good fucking god i almost considered doing that episode at one point and we dodged a fucking bullet Uh, wait if she goes back in time to try and seduce him while he's her age but he's actually older than her in the future Who's grooming who? <laughs> it's basically Fry fucking his grandma all over right, again. Right, right. That's my other favorite Bobka song, by the way. Who's grooming who? <laughs> so here's what I'm now just noticing. So there's an episode of this show where someone goes back in time to hit on a younger version of someone they know who's older. Mm-hmm. The episode we're talking about today involves someone going back to the present to find out that everything's changed. So they go back in time again to correct it. Mm-hmm. And there's also a Wild West episode. Yep. John Landis has no fucking shame at all. Speed of the Wild West, before Wayne goes back in time in this episode, why does he put on those cowboy hats and do those weird voices? I guess because he probably cracked. Look at the moon, Kunky. It's just raining love down on everybody. Yeah, Mr. Johnson, you start talking about love, the Apaches just really come down in a walk, buddy. And he also has the costume from the fucking fish episode as well. And he starts juggling knives for no apparent reason. Because he's Wayne Zielinski, that's why. Yeah, could Peter Scolari always juggle knives and they just worked it into the show? Or did he learn specifically? Oh yeah, he was he was a juggler. Oh, okay, cool. Also, as if there weren't enough pedophilia jokes in this show, they have one when Wayne's trying to get into the crowd and get with the security guard. They're all, I want to get in. I'm a huge Bob fan and the security guard is just like why is this guy so eager to be around teen girls i'm a big fan of theirs as an older guy but there's nothing creepy about that yeah now not to gatekeep and say that you can't be a fan of a specific person when you're a specific age but you'd be a little suspicious too if you saw a middle-aged man alone at a justin bieber concert yeah yeah i mean in all fairness this was before the Beatles or the Rudels slash whoever would have gotten experimental. So it didn't really exactly hit with the older generations who like that stuff. So I can kind of see it here, at least. Like I always say, the Beatles got really good once they started doing drugs. Exactly. I think they were better before, quite frankly, but that's just me. All right, Civil War time. That's it. This is what started the second Civil War. Randy, have you ever actually tried to listen to the White Album from beginning to end sober? (laughs) (laughs) It's got one great song, which is While My Guitar Gently Weeps, and maybe four or five decent ones, and the rest is just dumb, experimental garbage bullshit. I'm sorry. I love dumb, experimental garbage bullshit. Well, me too under the right circumstances, but that's not why I listen to the Beatles, goddammit. My controversial opinion is that I'd probably still like it more than anything Lennon did solo. That's probably true. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, the White Album 
peaked with back in the USSR and then it slowly just went a little downhill. <laughs> While my guitar gently weeps is still a masterpiece though. Yeah. Also shout out to Jacob Miller for covering happiness is a warm gun, but with honey, I shrunk the kids quotes. Yeah. Thanks so much, man. All right. Now it's time for the channel KRT version of revolution nine. <laughs> <laughs> As if this wasn't once upon a time in Hollywood enough. I call being Charles Manson. (laughs) (laughs) Also, if not for the Russians mind-controlling teenage girls, we wouldn't have had the actual Rolling Stones and histic continuity. Also, at one point, I think Wayne says that the British invasion almost drove Motown out of business. That... It's not true. Motown was bigger than ever in the mid and late 60s. That's just racist. I mean, they straight up coexisted. If not for Motown, the Rolling Stones wouldn't have some of their best songs. They wouldn't have Give Me Shelter. Where do you think the British invasion got their idea from? So if the Bopkas exist... How do the Beatles fit into this whole British invasion thing? How does this tie together? A wizard did it. Well, it says they go back to 1963. So if I may just try to inject a dollop of logic into this stupid bullshit. (laughs) So obviously the Beatles landed in America February 1964. That was when they were on Ed Sullivan. That was when Beatlemania reached its peak in the United States. But in 63, they were still huge stars in Britain. 63 was a huge year for them in England, and I guess the Russians figured, well, this music is going to take off all over the world. Let's capitalize on it and pretend to beat the Beatles to America, I guess. I don't fucking know. We are Soviets. We do not capitalize on anything. (laughs) We are communisting the Beatles. (laughs) Wrong choice of words, but still, they were going to seize their opportunity. Because at the time, you know, teenage girls would scream at literally anything that had that jangly Beatles sound, so. Exactly. Also, why did the guard throw him over the car? I mean, he had it coming. Yeah. (laughs) We missed it, but there's a bit where Wayne tried to sneak in so he tries to beat the shit out of the way stronger security guard i mean a cab but and so then after that wayne ends up getting kidnapped by their bodyguard when he tries to sneak behind the scenes and basically it leads to an interrogation section but the torture machine doesn't work i love the bit where they keep naming off all these different torture devices and they're like oh no it's in the shop And eventually they just fucking settle on the nose nipper of doom or whatever it's called. Careful, Guantanamo can only get so many ideas. (laughs) (laughs) Basically this Matthew LeBlanc looking Russian guy who basically can't do his job for shit. Could I be any more Russian? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, hey, it's probably less torturous than what the CAI is capable of. Should we mention how Nick and Wayne both use this device to open locked doors that looks like a very uncomfortable dildo. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's basically the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids equivalent of a sonic screwdriver, except it just <laughs> yep. breaks glass, because why not? You know the old saying, anything's a dildo if you're brave enough. <laughs> <laughs> I do not condone using anything but safe, approved products for insertion. <laughs> this has been your Channel KRT sex education of the day. There you go. Yay. There was one line, I caught the punchline, but I didn't quite catch the setup. When Nick says this must be what Oppenheimer felt like. Oh yeah, because he introduces the homing hat. And he admits that he puts chips in all the family members so that he'll be able to track them when they sneak out. And Amy calls him out on this, and that's what leads to the line. So Nick's a traitor. Oppenheimer was responsible for an invention that killed hundreds of thousands and now leaves a glooming dread of apocalypse over our heads for all of eternity. You just made it harder to play video games at 2 a.m. Yeah, same thing. Same exact thing. But how the hell is a 12-year-old boy able to put homing ships into all of his family members while they're sleeping. That's some fucking serial killer shit right there. Wait, so you're telling me Nick Zielinski is the one responsible for the COVID vaccine? Yes. (laughs) Murray the Q. Murray the Q. Q, please don't get any ideas for this. Anagrams are not real. We know that you will see jokes and think that they are real. (laughs) Also, it wouldn't be a 90s TV show without one transphobic joke. Yeah, Uh, what are you going to do? The Soviet women's swim team. So before Wayne went back in time, 
was there just no King Arthur legend and no Chicago fire? <laughs> I guess not, yep. because, yeah, later in the episode, he causes the Chicago fire and causes Arthur to pull the sword. We foreshadowed this in the first episode because I didn't think we were actually going to cover this episode. And like I said before, Wayne is responsible for the prolongment of anti-Irish bigotry in the United States. Goody. I mean, what more is there to say about Wayne Zielinski straight up causing the Chicago fire? And confirming the O'Leary theory. It's basically the writers of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show going, okay, what are the two most impactful historical events that we can shoot the cheapest that will require the least money for us to shoot like okay this scene is just in a barn this scene is just out in a field somewhere good go with it we can't like recreate the jfk assassination or anything <laughs> hey wayne what are you doing in nazi germany <laughs> Oh, God. Wayne getting stopped by a young Tim McVeigh, and he's like, I, I gotta go. Here, take this book. <laughs> oh, hey, the Turner Diaries. <laughs> Wayne goes back to the crucifixion of Jesus. <laughs> hey, I'll do it for 29 pieces. <laughs> How about this? How about this? Wayne goes back to the set of Twilight Zone the movie. <laughs> and he tells John Landis, don't worry about it. They know what they're doing. <laughs> Worrying too much, man. Also, I was disappointed as hell that the Bobkas weren't played by Paul Rudd, Jack Black, Justin Long, and Jason Schwartzman. Yes. I thought one of them looked a little like a young Paul Feig, but I checked. It was not Paul Feig. I mean, John Michael Higgins was on this show. There was some talented people on this show. Considering Paul Feig was just kind of a struggling actor back in the 90s. Although I guess this would have been the year Freaks and Geeks premiered, so he would have been busy with that. But Has anyone else noticed... That the Bobka's name is so stereotypically Russian, it sounds like they're, like, world's most famous export. Yeah! And yet nobody's picked up on that. Nobody in deep Cold War anti-Soviet America picked up on that. This was very obviously made before QAnon again. <laughs> well, uh, of course, Bobka, I mainly know it as a pastry from that one Seinfeld episode where Elaine wants to pick up a chocolate Bobka for a party, but they're all out, so she has to get cinnamon Bobka. Cinnamon takes a backseat to no Bobka. Bobka sounds like a Soviet cartoon similar to Worker and Parasite. By the way, by the way, speaking of names that sound like Russian spies... Doesn't Selinsky sound a lot like the name of a Russian spy? Like, if anything. <laughs> I mean, we forgot to mention that Wayne is contacting the family through a wristwatch in the most inconspicuous way imaginable in front of basically everybody backstage. No wonder they thought he was a fucking spy. But also, going back to the name Zelinsky, I guess I just assumed it was a Greek name. It sounds... Polish to me. If it ends with ski, I think it's Polish or, or Russian or, or Eastern Europe at the very least. I mean, does the great Luke Ski know anything about that? I believe he's a Soviet plant. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys tell him about the Berlin Wall yet? Oh my God. Uh, we've been meaning to. Uh, who's going to do it? So for some reason, they decide to make their plan to be only control teenage girls so the parents get overthrown. Why not just control the parents too? Why not just go straight for the president? <laughs> so basically it only affects Amy because something something teen girls jokes. I I don't know. Nick literally says that the most unstable force known to man is teenagers. I mean, like I said, boomers were the biggest generation and have been forever. So I don't know, man. Maybe that's the idea is that since there's more kids than adults in the 60s, that teenagers make up the biggest demographic. Maybe they can overpower everybody else. I don't know. <laughs> Also, Diane says a line about how her parents warned her that rock and roll would rot her brain. So is she going to fucking turn into a fundamentalist now? Uh, it's probably Landis being a boomer. Uh, honey, it's your decision. <laughs> I think she's going to force Wayne to invent a machine that lets her meet God. I mean, does God even exist in this universe? Yes, and his name's John Landis, unfortunately. He is a spiteful God 
who will smite you mercilessly. Well, personally, I don't think God exists in the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids universe because if he did, he would have stopped Wayne by now. So we've got this covered, right? Old Testament God is John Landis. New Testament God is Steven Spielberg. Correct. (laughs) I did really like the line where the bodyguard is trying to torture him. And I love how Wayne quips back, yeah, I'm not stupid enough to actually fix that for you. Also, I love how the interrogator gets the line, who is this Lucy and why does everyone love her? (laughs) (laughs) I must have missed that. (laughs) Who is this beaver and why are we leaving all of it for him? (laughs) Who is this family and why are we all in the for him? Who is this Ed and why are we giving a formal title to a horse? (laughs) Also, if Wayne is going back in time again to make sure that he gets everything right and stopping the bop goods, wouldn't he just run into another version of himself in the middle of all that? That is Wayne Zielinski's ass. Pretty sure there was a Family Guy episode about this. Well, there was a Some Jerk with a Camera episode about this, too, where I (laughs) run into a bunch of my former selves. Never heard of it. So they eventually defeat the Bopkas by setting off all the balloons that end the show. And then they also zap all their instruments with orb rings. I don't even think they know how to play their own instruments for that matter. What was the deal with the alien at the end? Oh, yeah. Has that alien shown up in previous episodes? or That specific species? Yes. But the thing is, it's supposed to be Arnox, the character John Michael Higgins played. But... I guess he said no to this cameo because it's a waste of him, so they just got some other guy. Yeah, apparently they got Keith Arbonaut to play him in this episode. Yeah, because I guess the joke here is that only the aliens got the true version of the Pop Time show, so... He said something about, you know, the songs like Trapped Between Dimensions and Hurtling Through the Galaxy as we speak, which... (laughs) Okay, sure, that's how things work, why not? Man, we really are thinking way too much into this episode. Well, I mean, it it involves one of the most politically unstable times in all of world history. Ah, the late 90s when we thought all the problems of the world were finally over. I was talking about the Cold War in the 60s. That was just straight up, we were on the border of apocalypse. (laughs) Yep. Glad we got out of that one, huh? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> One last quick thing I'll say is that I will admit this last season kind of shows a bit of a shift in quality, and I don't know if that's just because of how you can kind of tell this was the point where they were starting to kind of run out of steam. You know, I also just realized, wasn't there an entire season of Stranger Things that was kind of about this? Uh, But instead of, like, you know, the Beatles, it was an entire mall. (laughs) I mean, they could reference Weird Al in Stranger Things, so who knows? And they did. Thank God. Yes. So this has been a wild ass month. Yeah. So with all of that in mind, do we give Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Honey, Name That Tune, a keep the tapes, put in the donation box, or burn the tapes? Tony. Keep the tapes. Keep the tapes. Keep the tapes. music has hypnotized me. Uh, you're not going to have too hard a time uh, getting teenagers these days to turn to communism. Most of them are already there, so. Huzzah. Exactly. Kits. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back in time, find Paul McCartney, replace him, and then somehow it's going to lead to this episode. And then I'm, I don't know where I was going with this. <laughs> <laughs> what were you planning on doing with the real Paul McCartney after? Like, like where are you going to put him? See, what I was going to do is I was going to put him in Wayne Zielinski's lab, and then I was going to make him write temporary secretary for the rest of his life. That's so cruel. He belongs in the wild, free. <laughs> he belongs in a museum. He belongs <laughs> in his natural habitat. You got to go release him into the woods. Well, I, look, I just want him erased from existence before he writes Wonderful Christmas Time. That's all I'm asking. I'm kind of surprised Tony I Shrunk the Kids never did an episode where they found the fake Paul. Oh my god, that would be (laughs) insane. But anyway, so yeah, this is going to be a keep the tapes because this is a wild ass episode of nothing else. And for all my hatred towards Landis, at the least, this is probably the best thing he made in the 90s. Well, there's not much competition. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's either this or Blues Brothers 2000s or The Stupids. I mean... (laughs) Or Beverly Hills Cop 3, you know? Or Max Landis. Oh, Randy. Definitely keep 
where else are you going to get to see a picture of Stalin and the Soviet flag with the ABC logo tucked neatly into the corner? I'm going to give it a keep the tapes as well. Everybody said what I was going to say. This is just a good fucking episode overall. Delightfully silly. Don't think about it too much. Even if you do, it's still fun as shit. God damn, I hope the show comes to Disney+. Plus. Personally, I think uh, ABC should have made more communist-centered shows. <laughs> you got it, comrade! Oh god, remember when Girl Meets World did that fucking episode about communism or whatever? No! Oh, Jesus, uh. fuck. Between that and the autism episode... Uh. Yeah. Oh no. So that show gets to be on Disney Plus and Honey I Shrunk the Kids doesn't. Is no justice, no justice whatsoever. Snow Globe got on Disney Plus before Honey I Shrunk the Kids the TV show. Ugh. Fuck Snow Globe. No. No. Fuck this universe, man. Well, I'll be hanging tight for uh, the episode where Lennon and Stalin go to Disney World. <laughs> John Lennon and Stalin. <laughs> You know, the, the, the one where all the Soviet leaders go to Disney World and they have a meeting because Gorbachev is being a spoiled little bitch after becoming princess of the day. And then it gets lost. <laughs> and, and it's the to be continued where they're all, Mikhail, Mikhail, where are you? Well, they separate from each other and everyone blames Yoko for no reason. <laughs> Even though she was just sitting there for most of it. <laughs> All right. right. So that was an insane month, and we're so glad to devote more episodes to this beautifully insane show. And who's to say we won't do more episodes of it down the line? Wink, wink. Wink. Actually, wank, wank. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, rest in peace, Peter Scolari. We hope this month did you justice because. God damn, you deserve everything. He really does. Yeah. So, Tony, thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. Yeah, of course. Is there anything you want to plug? Yes, I'd like to plug my podcast, Escape from Vault Disney. Hey, we were on that show. Yes, all three of the hosts of this show have been on my podcast, both separately and together. Yay. It's the podcast where we review movies, TV shows, and short films available on Disney+, Plus, chosen completely at random. The show has been on hiatus ever since slightly before Christmas, but we are coming back on February 2nd, that's 2-2-22, with an episode on the 1993 Michael J. Fox comedy Life with Mikey. Yes. Oh, yeah. And also, March will be a theme month on Escape from Vault Disney. Pretty soon, at the beginning of February, you're going to be able to vote for what theme we do in March. And those votes will be on Twitter at the official Escape from Vault Disney Twitter feed at EFVD Podcast. You can also follow me personally on Twitter at, at Tony Goldmark. And. If you want to give me money and hear episodes early, by the time this drops, the Life with Mikey episode should already be available to my Patreon patrons, and that's patreon.com slash Tony Goldmark. So check all that stuff out. And you can find me on Twitter at TylerFG, Instagram at TylerFG96. As for the show, you can find us on channel underscore KRT on Twitter, Channel KRT Podcast, all one word on Instagram. You can also find our Discord server and our Facebook group in the link tree in our bio. And if you want to help support us, you can also find our Patreon, where we have exclusive minisodes, outtakes, and episodes of this very podcast one day early. And thank you so much to Gomer and Chris Reyna for pledging to us at the $10 level. Uh, You can find me over on Mission Breakout on Twitter and Discord. You can find me on A Walking Pun on Instagram. You can find me on various episodes as stated of Escape from Vault Disney, The Emperor's New Podcast, and Podcast Without a Cool Acronym. And overall, you can find me just... I guess I'll be reflecting back on this episode once it airs to see how 2022 ended up starting. Well, you're going to have to tune in late at night when they re-air every episode of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV <laughs> show, all in a row, just to prove that this episode existed because your family won't believe you. And then I'm going to go back in time and cause the Chicago fires. Sounds good. You do that, I'm going to go cause King Arthur. Yay! You can find me on Twitter at Cosmic Rewired, replace the E with three. You can find me on YouTube at the same name for my various little video shit posts. And you can find me on TikTok as Dale Earnhardt's persona. And you can find me compiling a lawsuit for both H2O Just Add Water and Stranger Things 3 for copying Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the series. As you should.
All right. And what a month this has been. Thank you all so much for listening to this. We couldn't have done this without you, especially since this was another viewer's choice poll, by the way. God knows we love those. So rest in peace, Peter Scolari, Channel KRT, Honey, I Shrunk, the theme month, cut to static.